3: Thank <laughs> you.
4: Six minutes uh, after six, it's time uh, for the Tuesday edition of the uh, Dave Ellsworth Show. Good to have you along for the ride today. Elizabeth uh, Sotolaro is here. Elizabeth, how are you today? Good morning,
3: good morning. Up early, ready to go.
4: Yes, up early in the morning. Definitely up early in the morning. (laughs) Heidi, you know, I never say anything about Heidi. She gets in uh, earlier than I uh, probably get up. I don't know. What time do you arrive in the studio, Heidi?
1: I usually get here around five fifteen or so, so a little bit earlier.
4: Okay, a little bit earlier. He goes me, to bed at six thirty, you know. I get, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. I I get I get up at five now since I'm doing the show from home. When I'm not doing the show at home, I'm up at about four uh, fifteen to get, you know, presentable and, and get into the into the studio. Not you know we were just talking about uh, this uh, before we came on Elizabeth. Not a lot of things coming out that is new. A lot of old things still being presented, which allows you to know that uh, there are topics that are sticking out there uh, amongst uh, the listeners and and viewers of uh, you know political TV political radio. Uh, First one, and we brought this up yesterday on my show, is out of Chicago, the um, uh, Chicago state representatives that want to stop teaching history in uh, the classrooms of uh, their high schools, junior highs, and uh, elementary schools until they have rewritten the complete history curriculum saying that black history is not reflected in the uh, the history that you're teaching and I you know I to be honest I can't uh, say whether it is or it is not I, I don't have any student in history in Illinois but uh, again I go back to Hamlet when you know I think you uh, you know complaineth too much basically the people who are complaining so loudly are the ones that want to change history in such a way that it tells a different form a different form of history than what is being taught in the schools it's not that that subjects within history aren't being taught it's that they're not being taught in the way that these people want it to be taught is that the way you're getting this as you listen to the interviews with the people who are pushing this elizabeth Oh Dave you're 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 leaving out half the story your white privilege has
3: blinded you the, the representative says that it's not just black history it's asian it's every other uh, you know population group that's contributed to our history he invoked the melting pot and even talked about women and said that their contributions to american history have not been adequately presented to the public I mean, it is – and, you know, it may or may not be, I'll say, accurate in a lot of ways, because obviously the people who, uh, you know, continue our our societies are the ones who do the writing and who do the the education. But it does not mean that everything we've ever taught is totally wrong or everything that we've ever taught is totally not true. We need to add to not take away – I mean – you know, the idea of not teaching history at all, how long do you think it would take to, to rewrite a series of books that's going to suit every leftist in our country? It'll never happen. So basically, well, they want to abolish history,
4: period. Well, Does well, not teach since, it. since they want to have Howard Zinn's book as the main book for teaching history shows that it's not that they're uh, they're worried about facts being presented because uh, you know, Howard <laughs> <laughs> Howard Zinn just totally takes history and presents it uh, in his own version. He doesn't even doesn't even get to the point of of naming facts in his uh, his presentation of history at all.
3: Well, in the sixteen nineteen project, they've now sort of admitted that uh, well, this is a journalistic um, experiment, a journalistic review of history. We don't really intend for it to be
4: factual.
3: Uh, back to the whole idea. Ex- explain that, me, you know. Ex- I mean, explain Obama. To me,
4: explain to me what they mean by a journalistic view. I don't get that.
3: <laughs> Especially get- since you and I know that there's no such thing as real journalism anyway. Not anymore. <laughs> I, it's just their way of fogging up the conversation. It's just their way of trying to distract people from actually looking at what's really happening and not think about what it really means. You know, in other words, they keep feeding us their pablum, their narrative, and you hear it and see it everywhere you look. Your brain is so full of all that, you don't have time to think about what's really going on, which you really know. You really see it. You really acknowledge it. This is the gaslighting thing. You talked about it some yesterday.
4: Yeah, you we see are it.
3: being led down a primrose path.
4: <laughs> yeah, where they tell you, you, you know, yeah, I know you saw this, but it's not what you – it doesn't mean what you not think what it you means saw. <laughs> you know believe
3: me that i'm telling you or your lying eyes of what you see for yourself
4: yeah you're seeing this and but here's the problem you're just not understanding that what you're seeing means something different than what you're seeing uh, they try but, to <laughs> they try to give it a different a, a different twist in
3: a relationship, it would call, be called abusive, okay?
4: It's manipulating
3: yeah. reality. Well, sure. it is a relationship. They have a relationship with the people of America, and journalists are letting people down. There's no such thing as journalism, Dave. We know that.
4: Yeah. Gaslighting, for everybody who doesn't know, is, is that term came from a movie with Ingrid Bergman, whose husband, who is abusive, was telling her that the abusive things that he was doing to her weren't really abusive. It was all for her own good. And so she believed that she was the one that was crazy, not him. And that's what's going on many times in the media today. They show you things in the media. They talk about things that are happening, but they present it in such a way as yes, I know it looks this way, but really it means this way, so relax it's not really happening to you it's a it's a very scary scenario i I'm sure there's a, psycholo- a psychological tool uh, uh word for this uh this kind of uh, kind of thing i mean i've always thought that abusers uh in marriages use this type of uh psychology all the time you know they They beat their wife, then tell them they're sorry, and then act like they really love them and say they'll never do it again, and then turn around and the abuse is twice as bad. Is exactly right. It's it's A,
3: a non-technical term is crazy-making, okay? It's a very easy way to drive somebody absolutely nutty because they know full well in their own minds what they see, and yet everything that's being fed to them from the exterior tells them, no, that's not
4: true. And it um, makes you start questioning yourself. It really does.
3: Correct. Correct. It makes you wonder whether you're even thinking straight or whether you've got your mind with you. And I again, I believe that the left, (laughs) I don't know whether they really are crazy in their heads or not, but I do know that the narrative is the same from everywhere we look, and it's not what's really going on around us. I mean, a good example of this in a different way is all the, I'll call it misinformation on COVID. There's nowhere to go that you know what's really going on because the narrative is so strong and so politicized that you can't get to the real facts.
4: Well, I sent you a letter today, not a letter, but a story of an MSNBC producer who said that exact thing uh, because she left uh, doing uh, her job at MSNBC because she said everything they did was done just for ratings. See, I think that she missed the forest for the trees. I think that she missed that it's not just for ratings, but it's for – more than just ratings, it's changing the way people are thinking. And she sat and talked about in this article, uh, she talked about uh, COVID-19 and how they talked you know, about certain things all the time uh, that really weren't the important things, the important things they tried not to talk about at all. <laughs>
3: Well, she pointed out, of course, and we'll post that article because it's a very interesting uh, piece of information she put on her personal blog when she left, but but that's just it. And she correctly pointed out that in this case, everything that we're talking about, well, that they are talking about, that the left talks about, is predicated and colored by Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. Orange man bad. Everything has to be about Trump. Yes. Therefore – any of the facts are being totally ignored and she's got that right i mean everybody can see that very clearly
4: well they should I be hope they able can see to see that
3: pretty clearly <laughs> they should be
4: able to but uh it's they say that they're not that this is gaslighting again i mean pelosi is a perfect example of perpetuating right. gaslighting all the time on america when she looks out at what's happening in portland and says oh there's not really riots going on there you know what you're watching is just people demonstrating and not rioting at all. I'm
3: looking peaceful at, protesting. That's a perfect, ex- another perfect example of the gaslighting. <laughs> Everybody had seen that video clip of the, uh, I forget who it was, even the reporter who's standing in front of the burning building and saying, "Oh, this is a peaceful protest. Come yeah. on, people." Wake up.
4: <laughs> yeah. here's, here's MSNBC producer says this, quote, This cancer risks human issues uh, and human lives, even in the middle of a pandemic. The primary focus quickly became what Donald Trump was doing poorly to address the crisis rather than the science itself. As new details have become available about antibodies, a vaccine, or how COVID actually spreads, producers still want to focus on the politics. Important facts of studies get buried, Uh, percary explained. This cancer risks our democracy even in the middle of a presidential election. Any discussion about the election usually focuses on Donald Trump. I mean, and, and then she goes on saying a lot of this is what happened during the Hillary Clinton time she was running. Everybody talked about Trump, 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 Trump. Nobody talked about Hillary Clinton at all. I, I deny that fact uh, as to some, but she is right in, in the, the, the thought that they take and make Donald Trump uh, the thing to talk about all the time. This is the left doing what the left does. There you go. Doing what they do. OK, you're right. They don't change. They've
3: never changed.
4: No. And they're not going to change. If everybody's right. sitting around wondering, you know, how you know, how long this is going to stick around, it's going to stick around as long as you turn to the television networks and watch them. Because ratings is God uh, to the television networks. In fact, uh percary, I think that's how she pronounces her name. Uh, she uh, even admits that it's all about ratings. When we sit down and talk about our stories, we talk about who are the guests that are coming on and uh, will those guests bump up ratings. That's that's what they're talking about. They want to get the, the largest amount of watchers that they can using the, the, the stable of uh, people that they have to come on to talk about the issues that they want to present to the American people. I, I hope that makes well, sense to everybody. I mean, it's not that well, they're going outside, outside of uh, a certain amount of pe- a certain group of people with certain I- uh, ideas. They want the same ideas presented. They just want to know which person presents it in a manner that will get ratings.
3: Well, and she points out in her letter something that, you know, many of us have noticed, and that is it doesn't matter what network you switch off to, you see the same narrative, the same news stories, the same take on those news stories, maybe in a different order from net- network to network, but you're going to see the same news narrative during a day's news. And, uh, of course, that's always been the case to some degree. Years ago it used to be the, uh, the AP ticker. You know, people would hit the door early in the morning and check to see what was going on in the world, and try to pick out the most important activities. Now, I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's any review of what's going on in the world. I think it's looking at how can we take what happened yesterday and turn it around to what we want to say about Orange Man Bad.
4: That will you know, keep the Orange most, Man Bad. That will keep the most eyes on our channel. Six twenty-one. A break. Elizabeth is here. I'm Dave Ellswick. It's the Dave Ellswick Show early on a Tuesday morning, 621, traffic and weather. And we've got it for you right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Yeah, Elizabeth and I have been talking about this story that uh, Fox News broke about uh, one of the producers at MSNBC going on their uh, Facebook and posting a long mischief about why. Uh, they resigned at MSNBC, and uh, some of the things that they say are things that Elizabeth and I have talked about <laughs> generally, about news in particular, over the last year, year and a half. We've been we've been talking about this because the journalism that is happening today, I call it journalism only because that's what they refer to themselves at as, but. They are not journalists in the the way that Elizabeth and I were taught journalism in college back in the early 70s uh, and before that. I mean, it, it, at that time, it wasn't you weren't advocating for a position. You were just reporting on what was going on uh, in a certain story. Now they advocate a position to you. That they want you to believe and ask you, well, make sure you have the people behind you, the talking heads, so to speak. And talking heads can be people who have a weekly show, a daily show, or have no show at all, uh, but are on the network speaking constantly. Those are uh, important things to keep in mind, because when we were in the break, you made an important uh, statement Elizabeth. You said that people tend to watch the networks that agree with the narrative they want to know. And that is in this story by uh, uh, Picari, who says, quote, I've even heard producers deny their role as journalists. A very capable senior producer once said, quote, our viewers don't really consider us news. They come to us for comfort. Now, maybe we can't really change the inherently broken structure of broadcast news. But I know for certain that it won't change unless we actually face it in public and at least try to change it. So here you have a producer saying, hey, look, we know they don't think it's news. They're just coming to us to hear us say to them, you're right in how you believe. And you, Are they not? You, you said that before I even read that quote to you.
3: Well, sure, sure. And, you know, it's a constant. Those of us who actually care about trying to convey good information, it's a constant struggle. Uh, I know it is for me. I don't want to watch CNN. I don't want to read things from, you know, MSNBC and all these other folks. It's sort of important to keep your eye on that sort of thing. If you want to try to keep an even view of what's going on in the world, (laughs) but it's really tough. People do. They watch, well, Fox News. I mean, most conservatives I know, well, I'm watching Fox. Well, for one thing, that's a separate issue. Fox is not really the conservative network it used to be. That's a separate thing. But people want to watch and read information that they then can say to themselves, see, that's, that's how I think, that's how I feel, so that's the way the world is. Um, that's not going to lead us where we need to be.
4: It's not well, going to work. That's where a lot of people are right now, and if that's the case, then the people on the left should pay very big attention to how badly Fox beats them in the ratings.
3: <laughs> they consistently have, what, six or so positions of the top ten shows on cable TV all the time. Yes. All the time. Um And even still, even still, Fox's coverage has changed really dramatically in the last two to three years. It is nowhere near as conservative. Certainly it's not as conservative as it was during the 2016 presidential uh, run up to the presidential election. And by the way, 90 days or so here to the election is not many. Are we ever going to see anybody on the news talking about actual issues? Like the we'll talk, we'll, like talk we'll talk about that
4: we 'll talk about that after we have the news here at the bottom of the hour stay tuned we 're back in a moment okay, back with you on the Dave Ellswick show um, as as you may have heard Elizabeth uh, say, uh, she looks at a thing called daybreak every day, and Salem sends us out uh, information about stories uh, each day that we look at that kind of helps us. Get a hold of uh, the the. I don't know how we want to put this. Get you running before, and get your legs moving fast enough that you catch up with everything. Uh, that you should catch up. You get on the treadmill and you don't slip and fall. You keep on going. It's
3: our Go narrative, Dave. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, part of it.
4: Yeah, you know, part of it is. Uh, their first topic today, and, and one that. I wanted to talk about today anyway. I had it on my list of things to to consider. They helped me uh, come down with some uh, different stories from the New York Times and and uh, I'm trying to see Wall Street Journal, CNN, Twitter, and Washington Post about this story and that more Democrats are now talking and keeping Biden out of the debates. And you, ref- you referenced this stuff by Bongino on his radio show that you listen to or his podcast that you listen to on a regular basis.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, Dan Bongino broke a story yesterday and says that he says that his sources are telling him that Biden is quickly sliding into dementia or whatever issues he's having mentally. And he kept saying "It's it's not that he's just you know, forgetting where to put the mayonnaise in the refrigerator, he needs to be walked through daily activities. This is why they do not want him in front of a camera under any circumstances. They can't, they can't know that he's going to be able to perform. Okay, and he so was very dramatic about it, and he spent quite a bit of his show yesterday discussing it.
4: So think about this. Typically, presidential debates are held so people can see how candidates... Handle themselves under pressure that's why people watch the debates they watch them to see will the candidates crack on national that's right. TV here's under what that new-
3: kind of pressure which is nothing like the pressure that you're under as the world leader that you will be if you are elected
4: that's right it's just now- a
3: minor test okay and yet so many people don't make it <laughs>
4: Yeah, They can't okay. perform
3: in the debates.
4: That's right. Even the,
3: when they've got their mental faculties with them. Um, we've all seen all these gaffes every time he is
4: on any camera anywhere. I, wo- I wonder. Well, as Paley said when he was talking about news uh, back in the days when broadcast news really was news, is that the camera never blinks. Now, Dan Rather took that and made it kind of the... Uh, his statement yeah. because he named his book that. But the bottom line yeah. that was that was Paley, the head of CBS News for years, the owner of CBS, and he was right. That camera never blinks. It's always on. It's always recording. It is always watching. Listen to what the New York Times say. Uh, said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, yesterday. And again, this goes into gaslighting. Here we go. The debates have never made sense as a test for presidential leadership. What? What? That's that's exactly... That's a great example of gaslighting. Yeah, that's exactly what both parties have said ever since they started back with Richard Nixon and uh, John F. Kennedy in the very early 60s, late, 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 late 50s. Anyway... In fact, they said, one could argue that they reward precisely the opposite of what we want in a president. When we were serious (laughs) about the presidency, we wanted intelligence, thoughtfulness, knowledge, empathy, and to be sure, likability. It should also go without saying dignity. Yet the debates play an outsized role in campaigns and weigh more heavily on the verdict than their true value deserves. Well, they built a straw man right in those first two paragraphs that means nothing. I mean, they don't back up what they're saying with any kind of facts at all. Zip.
3: Again, because they say it and say it so definitively, you're just supposed to accept their pronouncement as fact without thinking about what it means, without looking behind it for the information, without trying to verify whether it even makes sense. Just because they say it, that is a great example of gaslighting. <laughs> Never made sense as a test for presidential leadership, but yet we've done them for how long? <laughs>
4: well, <laughs> every uh, every well, presidential... Well, yeah, every presidential election that we know, I mean you go back to the Lincoln yeah. you know, Lincoln debates and things of nature, but on television since the very late fifties, early sixties when John F. Kennedy was elected uh president over Richard Nixon. It was the debates that made the difference in those uh uh, in in that uh, election. And let me go back and remind everybody what happened in those debates. Richard Nixon had a terrible ch- uh, a thing with 5 o'clock shadow. He could shave at, <laughs> at 3 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock, it looked like he had hardly shaved at all. And uh, his people didn't take it serious that you should use the right makeup and things of that nature if you were going to be on TV. So John F. Kennedy looked fresher. He looked more dignified. He looked more with it than uh, Richard Nixon did. Nixon was sweating. Nixon, uh, his beard was showing. They say they've done studies on this, and the study shows that the people who watched the debate said John F. Kennedy won. The people who heard it on radio said uh-huh. Richard Nixon. Won. Nixon won. You know, and that was and one of the
3: first or the first televised debate, was it not? It
4: was the first.
3: Yes. So of course, that difference of the visual, and you said it earlier. Will the candidate crack under pressure? He might not have cracked with the content of his, you know, talk, but the way he looked told everybody that that's not the candidate I'm. Feeling confident about. Well, he was very, all, un,
4: it was very evident he was uncomfortable.
3: And I doing. don't know, well, I remember that. I was not old enough to really analyze it properly, but I've gone back and looked at it. I don't know whether he was uncomfortable. But I, I've always thought it was being in front of the television cameras itself. He did not like that idea. It was no, new. It didn't. And I think that's, you know, a major part of what made that such a fiasco. He didn't want to do it.
4: Now, here's what the Wall Street Journal says about presidential debates. What a terrible year to make this argument. Uh, The pandemic (laughs) has put the usual political rallies on hold, so fewer voters will see the candidates in the flesh. The conventions will largely be online. Press aides will shape the news coverage by picking friendly interviewers. Mr. Biden, quote, Hasn't done any Sunday show since COVID started," unquote. Fox News's Chris Wallace recently said, adding that, "quote We will ask every week when he'll come on. The debates will be a rare chance <laughs> for a third party to push Mr. Biden on his plans for tax increases and a green new deal." Now that's the Wall Street Journal.
3: Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, and and it goes on. I mean, CNN, a day earlier, former Clinton White House press secretary Joe Lockhart. Everybody remember Joe Lockhart? I mean, he's he's kind of been off of TV here in uh, recent years. But now he's back again for a presidential election year. Said that he believes, quote, Trump can't win. But I want to give Biden this advice. Be bold. Whatever you do. Don't debate Trump. How's that? Oh my going gosh! For you?
3: <laughs> well, and again, there's a rift uh, becoming quite obvious again on the left because there's also this morning, as I look across, trying to find some information for us here. There's an article this morning out from uh, The Hill that says Democrats want Biden to debate. <laughs> Quoting Elizabeth Biden, we've had presidential debates for a long time, and it's been a way for a lot of people to see the candidates in action. I know that Biden will show who he is, a man of empathy and competence. And I'd like the American people to have a chance to see that. Now, again, a great example of gaslighting. She's gaslighting herself. She cannot see that he cannot perform. She thinks he's he's empathetic, which he probably is. (laughs) In ways that we don't want to, him to be empathetic to children and so forth, but he's competent. She thinks he's competent, and that a, a debate would show how competent he is up against Trump. Well, he's, be, she's it, deluding herself, but the right. left is turning in on itself and arguing amongst itself about how it needs to go forward as
4: well. Well, you got members of the left that believe you can't get elected unless you debate somebody and then you got the other side that's like hey we're leading we're going to win this thing let's not take a chance and debate cuz we're not sure how our candidate will do i mean they all remember how poorly biden did during the primary the democratic primary in debates he did not do good at all he have a few moments where he would shine but most of the time He looked like Homer Simpson up there. Duh. You know, I mean, that's kind of the way he looked.
3: Again, the real question is how, you know, how, well, one of the real questions, how sharp is he on his feet? How sharp is he at all? Can he perform? I think the feeling on the conservative side is he is not, um, he's not ready for prime time. He does not have... The mill capacities it's going to take to lead this country. I think it's very clear, and of course we all know this, that his new presidential, his vice presidential pick, that's going to come up any day now. They're going to
4: talk about who this is. They put that back a week, didn't they?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, they keep putting it off because it's a very, very, very critical decision for them. This is their presidential candidate, the vice presidential candidate, because they know that Biden is not going to be able to carry the water. He can't do it. Again, back to Bongino, the speculation there, wondering about Dan Bongino commenting on Biden's competency, and he says he has very well-placed sources, that he is getting very solid information. Well, Dan Bongino used to be a Secret Service agent. Don't you yeah. think he knows other individuals that are still working in that field who probably know exactly what's going on firsthand?
4: Well, it's going to be interesting. Let's just put it that way, and it's, uh, it gives us something to talk about, doesn't it?
3: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You
4: know. All right. It's 13 minutes to 7. We've got to get our final break in. Uh, I know that Heidi's waiting there with her finger on the button ready to start the break. So let's do that. Then we'll come back and finish it up. What's going on up in Seattle? Well, the left's getting tired of the protesters, at least the normal lefties we talk about. The rabbit lefties are like, no, we got more to do. We'll tell you about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we've got uh, about nine minutes until uh, we got to wrap up this first hour. Elizabeth Siltiaro is with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. She joins me every Tuesday, and we've been talking about uh, a variety of topics. I'd like to finish up this hour, if we can, uh, Elizabeth, about what's going on in uh, Seattle and, Port- and Portland, because they're pretty much in what's happening in those communities the same. Same stuff is happening. And uh, in Seattle, the protesters now have targeted the chief of police. This is something that I brought Imagine up.
3: Imagine that.
4: <laughs> yeah, that I brought up uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that is the left, uh, unless you're pure enough, unless you walk. Their narrative, the way they are saying the narrative should be walked. Uh, they will eat you just as much as they will eat somebody on the right. And uh, people on the left are, uh, are beginning to see this. I mean, you had the letter uh, here, um, <clears throat> excuse me, three weeks ago that different people signed uh, from the left saying that they believed in the First Amendment. That didn't go over well with the uh, No, they didn't. Uh, the radical left, they they went after those people who said that they believed in the first amendment. Now you got the the police chief of Seattle who has talked about the violence within these uh, protests that are going on in the cities and how it's not right. Now they're showing up on her front lawn.
3: Did she really believe that would not happen? Sooner or later, they're going to turn on you. I mean, that's what mobs do. (laughs) And by the way, as a figure of authority, she's as much the enemy to them as anybody else. Anything that's a figure of authority is an enemy. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't matter. Again, you can try to appease. You can get on your knee. You can say all the right things. But, you know, no, they're going to turn on you
4: anyway. It's not. Uh, let me well, let me because, just read the beginning. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish up your thought. Go ahead. No, sir. Go ahead. It said that uh, in this story, and I thought this was important that you that people hear. It says that uh, the chief of police sent a letter to the city council asking its members to quote stand up for what is right unquote after uh, you know people had uh, started doing this stuff where they. They started showing up and uh, attacking, like, for instance, her. They showed up on her home over the weekend. A residence of mine in uh, Nohomish County was targeted by a large group of aggressive protesters, uh, she was saying. And uh, so uh, one other thing that she mentioned about this, and especially this person, was that... uh, uh, my neighbors were concerned by such a log- large group, but they were successful ensuring the crowd was not able to trespass or damage any property. This is, this is the chief of police now uh, begging, begging, not, not asking, begging the city council to help stand up for what is right.
3: Well, and who determines, you know, what is right? Back to that again. This is the same Seattle police that, that, you know, told their their constituents that we would not intervene. You know, we're not going to get in the way of the rioters. What is right? Not getting in the way or stopping the lawlessness? Today, it's stopping the lawlessness. Last week, it was we're not going to get in the way of the rioters. So you know what's right changes from day to day, depending on whether they're on your doorstep i suppose
4: yeah and and the and their neighbors who went through all of this because on Saturday night when about two three hundred people showed up on the police chief's lawn and in front of her home, and they were using bull horns and things of that nature, a neighbor said, "Hey, look, they weren't here just after the police chief. they were here to scare." Uh, you know, people who live in a neighborhood to scare children and to do things that intimidated people. That's the way the left works. We've said this from the very beginning.
3: That's right. No one, make an example no one, so that you understand that's what's going to happen
4: to you. That's right. No one yeah. is safe from what the, the tactics that the left uses.
3: Now, for what it's worth, though, let's just make one point in an interest of accuracy this seattle police chief is the same one uh what a week or two ago i guess their city council wanted to take away their ability to use the uh you know rubber bullets and the and the tear gas and that sort of thing and within a couple of days as i recall that policy was overturned because the seattle police chief said we can't we can't do our job we cannot do our job So she is trying – I think she's pretty well torn and caught in between, and I can't even imagine. But she's trying to uh, do some law enforcement, I suppose. But uh, I can't imagine – again, it's interesting to me that we don't get all riled up about all of this until they show up on our door, and then all of a sudden we're all about really getting out there and making the comments and trying to make the change. But other than that, well, again – Dan Bongino has said this several times, and I have to adopt it. He says, "You know, the fight's going to come to you, one way or the other. You're going to have to take a stand. You need to decide now how you feel and what position you're going to take. It may be your kids at school, it may be your neighbor, it may be at your workplace. Something's going to happen, and you're going to have to take a side. If you don't, you're going to get canceled as well."
4: The chief said, "I think I think he's right on it." Okay. well, the chief said this to the uh, city council before this devolves into the new way of doing business by mob Uh rule here in Seattle Uh Uh and across the nation. Elective officials like you must forcefully call for the end of these tactics. They're not because they're not coming after them.
3: Well, I was going to say they are sitting there saying, "Well, they haven't come after us yet." But Dave, how long will it be before someone in Seattle decides that it's a, the right thing to do? See, it's the right thing to do to put out the names and addresses and you know where their children go to school of all those members of their city council. It won't be long if yeah, they decide how long, to, to. How long you know, before they start them?
4: They start doxing you. Exactly. I mean, that's what- it's what it all comes down to. That's and their tactic
3: that they use.
4: Well, the answer is a simple one. They'll dox you just as soon as they think that it will help their cause. Just ask Ellen right. DeGeneres, ask, P, uh, ask Rowling, ask uh, uh, Halle Berry, ask the, the lefties that in the last, just the last few weeks have felt the back of the hand of the people from the left and if you want a historical look at it, read about the French Revolution. That will give exactly. you a real front-row front seat about how people and like this act.
3: They're shocked and surprised that they're not allowed to defend themselves with factual information. That's the part I find interesting. That's what—that's the gaslighting back again. Ellen DeGeneres says, "Well, you know, I, I have these things to say about defending my position as, as running my company. We She's not allowed care. to use the facts. So You're not it, allowed to talk care. about the
4: facts. That's that's right. Right. We don't care. Facts don't matter. Feelings do. All right, we got to yeah, get out of here. We've got Elizabeth. She'll be back with us at eight o'clock. The Bible Guys at seven. Coming back on the Dave Ellsworth Show." Deal with issues of uh, of our spirit because you know I don't deny that there's the physical, there's the mental, and there's the spiritual. I've a lot of people don't you know hear to those uh, those three beliefs, but I think most most uh, right thinking uh, uh, doctors do. And uh, so when it comes down to talking about the spiritual, you got to talk about. Uh, the important spirit, which is the spirit that God gave to us. So, today, in, uh, for the Bible guys, who I've got on today, Billy is back with us. Good to have him. Billy is here. He's a pastor, as well as Steve Hess is here. He works with the school over at uh, uh, Agape and has also been a minister. Scott, who's the minister of Agape, will not be here today. believe that he is on uh, uh, he's he's doing a teaching thing up in Idaho, if I'm not mistaken. So he's up in in the mountainous areas of the United States. So, gentlemen, good morning. Glad that you're here with us. Let me talk uh, talk about something that I ask you a question that I would be caught flat footed with. Uh, what are your thoughts on the is it the, the, Bible? the Cepher Bible the C E P H E R Bible? I have not even heard of this. So let's start with you, Billy. Uh, your thoughts. Uh, I've got some kind of passing familiarity
0: with it. Um, I, I don't own a copy myself, although I have seen it. Uh, it is uh, similar in vain to the complete Jewish Bible in that it is a uh, an attempt to um, translate while leaving um, the Hebrew names in place. Uh, I do know that there are a couple of scholarly concerns with the way they have translated some things. Um, nothing that I'm aware of that is huge, um, but some things that were so every translator. Uh, every translator's biases come through when they do a translation. That's well, just absolutely. the way human nature is. And there and there are some things that were translated with a bias that is different than my own, I suppose, and therefore I go, eh. Uh, the, I think the bigger concern uh, is that it also contains a bunch of the apocryphal works, um, some of which I'm okay with them having included, some of which I think uh, are probably troubled waters for people who uh, may not be deeply rooted in their faith yet. So it's one of those works where uh, if you're a biblical scholar and you want to have it hanging around on your desk, uh, or if you want to refer to it, if you want uh, a yet another work to go look at, it's probably interesting to have around. Uh, is it the, the the Bible I would hand a new convert? Absolutely not.
4: Okay. Steve, how do you view it?
1: <clears throat> I've never... Um Never looked at any of the translations that, that um, verses that would be up for dispute. I've never even, I mean, I've never looked into this except um, the the part that I would agree with Billy about is the um, <clears throat> all the additional books. Um, there's a there's a big move today, uh, and uh, I don't know what it, what's what's it being attributed to, but there's a big move for people to accept books that have been long rejected by the church, and then people will jump up and say, oh, well, it was set, accepted by the Ethiopian church, or it was accepted by this group, but for the broad um, per, uh, uh, stroke of the church, it was not. And, and some of these things have some really questionable um, doctrine and things in them. Like it takes okay. all of the apocryphal works that were that are in the Catholic Bible, but it also adds the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, uh, and Talbot, I think, and Yasher, and so. Um, but they, because people don't study the origins of these Bible, I'm, I'm sorry, not these Bibles, but these additional books, they don't know the context in what they were written, and they don't understand that they are a type of literature known as uh, pseudepigraphal, and meaning they give the name to somebody else. Uh, and they're uh, most of them are apocalyptic in nature, meant not to be understood literally. And so the last thing we need is a couple of books that are similar to the book of Revelation, which is very difficult to understand, in the novice's hand out there creating doctrine.
4: All right, so let me stop you just for a moment and go back to a point you made. Somebody wrote a book and gave it a different name. I mean, isn't that kind of the, what was it, the, the book of Matthew? Isn't that somebody wrote that and then said... This is the book of Matthew.
1: No, some have tried to um, claim. There are people who are claiming that a lot of the Gospels were written by other people. But um, what I'm talking about is uh, the big one is the book of Enoch. Uh, Another one is known as the Gospel of Timothy. Um, And there's a lot of people, I'm sorry, the Gospel of Thomas. There's a lot of people that accept those simply because they look at the names. And one of the things that was really prevalent beginning prior to the time of Jesus and definitely was really in full swing um, after the time of Jesus in the early church was something known as Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism is, is when people say that they've been given a revelation by God and, and this is what they saw and this, and they were standing there on the mountain when Jesus was talking to the disciples. And they'll say that they got a revelation and they'll write a book on that. And because they want people to read it, they'll tie a disciple's name to it, or they'll tie Abraham's name to it, or Moses' name to it, or Enoch's name to it. And then people will think, because it, it has a hint of similarities to the Gospels or other Old Testament writings, that therefore it can be trusted because it, it says things that are very similar, but then they ignore that 20 30 or 40% that is outright wrong. Um, and, and unfortunately, because there is a hint of a little bit of truth in it, a lot of people are grabbing it and think that we should be taking those things and, and throwing them into the, into the, canon.
4: Okay, so explain to me, explain to our listeners, where this Sefer Bible came from. I mean, who were the people who are behind it?
1: That I don't know. Um,
4: yeah, I don't know who did that I, translation. Um,
1: I'm looking right now just to see if I, it throws it, I, the I names. But i want to address
0: on. something that. I want, I want to address something that Steve just said, and, and that okay. is this uh, this apparent uh, rising mentality among Christianity today to go seek these additional works. And, and, and he said, he said, and, and correct me if I'm quoting you wrong here, Steve, but you said, I don't understand what's going on with why this seems to be a, a rising trend these days. And, and I think the the you actually ended up walking directly into the answer to that, which is that there seems to be this spirit among the church today to go seek um, this, quote, hidden knowledge, uh, end quote, the Gnosticism. It's it's we're, The church seems to, as a whole, be dissatisfied with what um, the Bible has to say, and they're going and looking for extra, quote-unquote, things um, to help make the Bible say what they want it to say or to, to feel... Um, uh, elevated in their knowledge or whatever it is. And, and the Bible tells us that in times that there will be an increase of knowledge. In, and I don't know if that's not a part of what's going on here. People seeking to know um, hidden knowledge. Uh, and that's it's very dangerous, in my opinion. Um, it, it's one of those things that can lead... Um, right straight off of the path that Christ has set for us and uh, right straight into uh, a bunch of the new agey stuff. I think that's part of where the new agey stuff that's creeping into the church. I think that's part of where that's coming from. Um, It's by and large, it's a, it's a great big ugly thing that seems to be happening out there.
4: Is this not a methodology where people are saying, well, it's just that those church fathers back in the day who wanted to have all of this uh, power to say here's what the truth is. This is their way of keeping anybody off the, the reservation, so to speak, that has any other thoughts from coming uh, coming on the reservation. Uh, instead of looking at it as the f- church fathers understood what was reading, uh, what was written that was truly important in what was written that was really just a bunch of mishmash to be tried to add to the,
1: yeah, they, the um, canon. They, they did something what most people don't have today, and that is standards. So right. what they did is they, la- they laid out parameters of things that would be considered scripture because the, the, there was a guy that rose up around the second century named Marcion who started to take certain scriptures that were considered books of the New Testament, they, because the New Canon, the New Testament canon didn't happen until around the 360s. <clears throat> but there was a guy named Marcion who was collecting some of the writings that were being passed around to all the different churches, and he was basically creating his own New Testament. And so the church started to gather all of these up, and the church, well, I mean, they had them, but the church started to say, look, we, we can't have people doing this because there were so many other people that were starting to write all of these Gnostic writings, And so they came down with a standard that for the new Testament stuff that basically said, um, unless you walked with Jesus personally walked with Jesus when he was on the earth. um, And obviously except for the apostle Paul, since he had the encounter with Jesus and was accepted by the church that walked with Jesus, nothing else was allowed to be introduced into the canon. And that's because they didn't want these guys to start showing up with all these other books. Now, your liberal people or your anti-church people will go see they're trying to keep out other revelation. They're trying to show you that um, Jesus really wasn't the Messiah or there's these other doctrines and beliefs. It's like, no, they tried to prevent people like you from creating it all. <laughs> it, it wasn't that they were trying to hide it. They were trying to protect it. And, that's, uh-huh. and, and, we, and because we have the – uh, fortunately and unfortunately, we have the Internet – uh, and we have all these people that throw up a YouTube page or website, and now all of a sudden they're considered scholars, and they have no background, they have no peer review, they have nothing else that, that and, and so much of their research is just whack. <laughs> um, that, but then people grab a hold of it because they got a, a flashy new thing here and an exciting unheard thing here, and that's the nature of, of a gnostic type
4: move. So, all right, eighteen minutes after seven. Uh, our next question relates directly back to our first question, which uh, we'll have when we return here on the Dave Ellswick show. Scott not in the saddle today; he'll be back with us here, I believe, a week from next Tuesday. But Steve and uh, Billy are with us. If you have a question, eight two three, oh nine six five is the number to call, or just uh, email me at Dave at Salem, dot com, and I'll ask it for you to our Bible guys today. We've got more coming your way in a moment right here on 101.1, uh, The Answer. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Steve Hess and Billy Miller are here as well. We just got done talking about the Cypher Bible and, you know, is it really a Bible to uh, consider? And uh, I think from what I heard from Steve and what I heard from Billy is that it has some flaws in it. And uh, if you've got some deep-rooted biblical teaching, you might be able to make your way around it and understand that, There's, you know, mistakes uh, in this uh, particular piece of, quote, Scripture. So this next question, guys, goes along with the first question. And that is, dear Bible guys, I was wondering what you guys think about Jude using both the book of Enoch and the testament of Moses in his epistle. Why would Jude use these two non-biblical books should we take this as a green light to study these ourselves are they even in existence any longer Th- thanks they say so we started off with Billy in the last segment let's stop, start off with Steve Hess here in this segment go ahead Steve
1: in light. <laughs> um, and just because um Jude quoted that, and that's actually one of the things when I get into discussions with people who believe in the Book of Enoch, and that it should be considered canonized, and it's usually the reason that people are pushing for the use of the Book of Enoch, because they have it an agenda, uh, and most of their agenda is because it, Book of Enoch is two things. It's a Gnostic apocalyptic writing, and it speaks in very grandiose language, and because they believe it has everything to do with the end times, and it makes reference back to the quote-unquote giants of old, it makes their points. So that's why they push for it, and that's why they want to use it. So just simply because Jude quoted it is, is not an excuse to say, therefore, it should be canon. Because if that's the case, then we need to realize that Paul quoted Greek philosophers. And if we're going to use somebody quoting an additional scripture as justification for saying it's therefore canon, uh, then that means we need to start following the pagan writings of, of Menander and uh, Epimenides and these other guys that Paul was quoting, because Why? He was in Greece, he was speaking to people he knew, and he used their language and their stories to try and make a point. It's just like when um, uh, he walked in, I forget the to which town, and he pointed to one of the uh, idols, and it said to the unknown God, because they didn't want to leave a God out, and he said, this is the one I'm talking to you about. What does that mean? Do we go there and bow down before that pillar? Because Paul used that. as as a sight gauge to be able to get people's attention? Of course not. So um, we need to be careful with that kind of thought. And again, it's because so many people are not trained, they don't take the time to learn how to study and read the Bible, and they make a leap like that. Oh, Jude quoted, so therefore it must be scripture. No, Jude was probably talking to a crowd who would have known that literature because it had been in existence since the second century or third, second century BC. And he said, hey, remember this, and he made his point. Not say, hey, go read that now. It's scripture. That's that's not what he was doing.
4: Okay, or saying, hey, look, if you look at this, everybody knew this was the truth. Even even Enoch, you know, you know, a broken clock strikes the same the right time twice a day. I mean, that's what I'm kind of right. kind of saying. And I think maybe that's what Jude was saying. And what is the book or, or the book of Math or uh, Moses? I'm not. I've not heard that. The only thing I know is the Book of Moses is the Pentateuch.
1: Yeah, actually, I wasn't familiar with that one when I saw that. Okay. Yeah, sure. and
4: I don't.
0: I'm not sure what they're attempting to reference here. Um, I don't, other than other than um, the Book of Enoch. I don't know of any other reference in Jude to uh, an outside work. Uh, I, I will say that. Um, from From my point of view, the, the the reference back to Enoch there is is very much um, so when I'm when I'm preaching, when I'm teaching, I, I often uh, make reference to, to works that are non-biblical, right? Um, and I think uh, the, the one who probably did that best, was the messiah himself uh he he often made reference to uh parables uh we do that today with our when, when we're preaching we do that today i don't know any pastor who, who doesn't reach uh, into the secular world or even into um uh, more traditional works uh, i have on occasion probably referenced uh, Enoch's fables or, or not Enoch's fables, but uh, Aesop's fables on occasions, because there are moral values there to be taught, uh, and sometimes you have to teach at a level uh, that that people can understand. Right? I mean, if, if we if we only if Steve and I only sat around and talked in high-minded, uh, super spiritual uh, language, then there are a lot of people who would be sitting there completely. Uh, tuned out because they didn't understand what we were talking about. But uh, our master was was an amazing teacher. Uh, let's, let's give him credit for being the best teacher ever, uh, I suppose. Uh, and he often went, hey, let me, let me demonstrate this by going and giving you this parable. So the parables uh, actually make it into Scripture, but does that mean that every parable that he ever spoke— was a factual thing that happened, um, there, and, and I'll, I'll be honest. There are those out there that argue that yes, because the master said it, then it absolutely had to have happened. Uh, but that is probably a stretch. Um, I think the Lord was was very good at looking at his audience and going, "Here's what uh, will reach them," and, and therefore. He taught in parables and so do we and I think that's probably what's going on in the book of Jude here is that uh he's just like Steve said, he's reaching back to something that the crowd is familiar with and, and using that language and using these concepts that they're familiar with in order to make a point. Um so we can't we, we have to be really, really careful. Uh and and that is why uh Part of this conversation we're having here about the apocrypha—that is why some of that stuff is so dangerous because um, it, it can lead you to begin accepting things as truth that simply are not true, and can lead you to a place where you begin questioning your faith, or um, you you damage your witness. Um, it, it can it can lead you to some places that I don't think God ever intended us to to wander into.
4: You know. W- yep. What you talk about is something that every preacher has done in time. For instance, you know, Billy, you talking about you use uh, examples from Aesop's Fables, and Steve, you may take it from history itself. All right, twenty-five minutes till eight o'clock, and we're talking with uh, Steve Hess and Billy Miller. They're two of the Bible guys that are here most weekdays. Uh, or week uh, Tuesdays when we do the Bible Guys segment. Scott is out, the the pastor over at uh, uh, Agape Church. He is uh, on a special mission up in uh, Idaho, I believe, is where he said he was going. But he'll be back with us in two weeks. Uh, I was, when I got cut off because I ran over and the news came on, I was just trying to make the uh, point that I use movies Many times when I'm talking in spiritual terms, for instance, one that comes to mind is The Omega Man. It's a movie that came out about 1971, and if you watch it, you'll understand that, number one, it's based on the book I Am Legend, uh, which Will Smith uh, made a copy uh, of uh, did a, a movie uh, based on that book here not too long ago, not as good as far as I'm concerned, as The Omega Man. But when, in uh, spoiler alert, if you've never seen the Omega Man, put your fingers in your ears for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. Charlton Heston dies at the end. He dies because the antibodies necessary to fight the plague that has wiped out all of humankind, that he's trying to work, work on a, a serum that will, you know, a vaccine that will save people's lives. Uh, and... He's killed at the end. And part of the things that happen, he is he's stabbed in the side. He falls into a fountain. Uh, the fountain uh, fills and is impregnated with his blood. And he's in the position of Christ on the cross. And I, I use that at times to show how uh, Christian thought during the day of these movies that were made uh used uh, Christian symbolism a lot of times within the movies. In no way am I equating to what's being said on the screen as having the weight of of the gospel of the Bible, just that the Bible has influenced Hollywood somewhat, that it actually plays out at times in secular things, but helps us maybe as secular people. Uh, and spiritual people as well to understand a biblical lesson a little bit better. Uh, does yeah. that make sense, guys?
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what um, you know, J.R. Tolkien and um, C.S. Lewis were doing, in, in their literature. Yeah. So because they were making trying to tell the story of the gospel within, um, with the avenue that they wanted to bring it. Yes, it was you know kind of this um, witchcraft sorcery kind of world, but that's what they wove into the story. And when they wove that into the story, you don't know therefore, you know, quote Lord of the Rings as a gospel source.
4: That's right. That's right. Now they were Christian men, but they were trying to reach secular people through a secular means and, and, and people yep. have got to understand that. Yep. That's really important. All right, next question. What's up with all the hating going on right now? I know it's the devil, but why now? Is there a prophetic reason why 2020 is going into history books as a garbage year? With that question out there, let's we'll start over with Billy. Billy gets to go first time, uh, first this time. Go ahead, Billy. Uh, I I
0: think it's simply a, a sign of the times that we're living in. Um, we are, in my opinion, we are on the the precipice of the the end time events beginning. Um and, and I know we have um we have been very careful, um, Steve and Scott and I to to say that we don't think that we're right neck deep in the um end times at this point, but that we might be right at the beginning of those things coming to pass. And and there's there's we have had to be really cautious about that because there are lots of voices out there claiming that, you know, hey, we're we're into the final seven-year period or, um, you know, this is that which was spoken of. And, and the truth is that we live so cushy here in the U.S. that we don't recognize the fact that what we are experiencing here is really a drop in the bucket compared to our um, faith brothers and sisters uh, uh, all over the world. I mean, we're not—they're not dragging us out the streets and beheading us at this point. When that really is happening at places in the world, so uh, I'm, I'm pretty cautious about declaring that we're in some final uh, period. But I do think we're right at the edge of that, and we know that. Based on what Scripture says is going to happen during that period of time, that you don't you don't just you don't go from everybody loving everybody one day to cutting off people's heads the next day. There, there's a transition period in there, and I think we're probably in uh, part of that transition period. Uh, I think the uh, I think Satan understands that his uh, time is very short at this period, and therefore there's this this ramp up in. Um, hostility, and part of that we've brought on ourselves by the what, what we've allowed to happen over the last two or three generations. Now, you back up three generations, and by and large, this was a Christian country. You back up two generations, and things are starting to get a little slippery. But, you know, my parents and my generation and even my children's generation, um, you know, that our grandparents and great-grandparents would not recognize the world, that they've take away all the technology, and they still would not recognize the moral decay that we have allowed to happen in this country. Um, They simply would not recognize the world that we're living in. So I I think it is, uh, part of it is just that we are um, finally reaping what we've sown, Um, and I think part of it is that sifting that has to happen right there before um, the Ancient of Days kicks the doors open and says, I'm back,
4: so... Yeah. All right. Steve, you got anything you want to add to that?
1: Uh, yeah. The main thing is um, I, d- I do believe that, um, I mean, first we have to say it, it has been a little, it's been quite crazy, obviously in our nation over the last seven, eight months in the violence. And the Bible does say um, that the uh, love of many will grow cold in the end. And I do believe we're approaching the end, but simply because it's chaotic in this nation doesn't mean that it's the end. We, Um, You know, Americans are the perfect narcissists because it's happening here. Well, now it's global and now it's the end of the world. Uh, When there's been, you know, if you go, if you ask the people in Yugoslavia in the early 90s, in the mid 90s, what was happening? It was the end of the world. If you ask the Russians when their economy and their world collapsed in the late 80s, and early 90s, it's the end of the world. Um, What I do believe is happening is is we are watching this nation come to its end. And a lot of people will find that very difficult to accept and believe. Um, But if this nation does not have an absolute massive um, uh, spiritual and then followed up by a patriotic revival, this nation will not survive. The debt level that this nation is going to and with the disunity at at, just just unprecedented level that we're being violent to opposing political views now, uh, I personally believe that this nation will probably not survive another decade if we do not have a massive spiritual revival. Um, what we're witnessing is not God judging this nation. What we're w- witnessing is Romans 1. And we had a um, two generations of people who rejected God, and God has finally said, okay, you want to live without me? Then here you go. You live how you think you should live, and you j- I'm just going to let you turn the nation over to yourself, and you go ahead and be immoral, and crazy, and violent, and covetousness, and all the other things that are listed in Romans 1. That's what we're witnessing. I do believe it is setting us up for the end, because in order for the end times events where all the nations come against Israel, America has to fall off the scene as the world-dominant power. And I think that's what we're watching.
4: Okay. New question for you. Boy, you, you laid out an interesting answer there, Steve. People got something really to chew on on that one, no doubt about it. All right, we're going to take a break. In fact, it's uh, quarter till eight. Uh, Don't forget about my friend David Lucas. Uh, He'll tell you that the thing that you want to do uh, is, uh, you know, know how much money you have and how you should be using your money in a in a methodology uh, that you can live on that money. Uh, And and he does uh, a a. A version of sitting down with you not a version but he sits down with you and goes over uh, your 401k programs and over other programs that you've been putting your money in to see how much you could save in taxes with your IRAs and 401ks because remember when you talk about money, like if you talk about $287,619, I think most of us on listening right now said that's you know, a legitimate source of money. How do I protect that? And that's what David tries to show you. It's not just how much money you have. It's planning how you're going to disperse that money so that you protect yourself against the government taking an inordinate amount amount in, in taxes. So learn exactly how much money you could save with a free retirement tax analysis. If you've saved more than $250,000, and many of you have, uh, be one of the first 10 callers and schedule a free analysis now at 501-222-3315. If you have an IRA or a 401k, learn how much money in taxes you could save by calling 501-222-3315. Again, that number, 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. Okay, back for another question with the Bible, guys, when we return. 13 minutes till 8. you got 13 minutes to get to work on time here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we're back here on the Dave Elswick Show. Lots of questions today we've been getting to and and asking about and uh, trying to get you some answers. I've got another one here. Uh, need to find it here. Hold on. Okay. I've lost one of our questions, guys. So, but I'm looking. I think stay right Let's there. Uh, the big one was the 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 cipher, but this, this is the other one. So while while
0: you're there. looking while you're looking for that, I'll go ahead and address yeah, go ahead. The, uh, Some of the apocryphal work. So we have. Uh, we, we have, by and large, um, spoken in negative light about the apocryphal works. Um, but I will have to say that, um, and I'm sure St- Steve would would have the same opinion here, is that some of the works that we consider apocryphal today have not always been apocryphal, and and they were not they were not removed because they um, were unimportant, quote unquote. Uh, they were removed for, by and large, financial reasons, um, like the. Uh, Book of Maccabees, which existed in the King James Bible up until I want to say it was the uh, eighteen ninety four, maybe um, the eighteen nineties, and it the, the the cost of creating a Bible by including those works um, was was pretty significant. So uh, several books were removed at that time uh, simply in order to make evangelism cheaper. Um, it, it was the assumption was that everyone was familiar with those books anyway, and that everyone would eventually acquire a copy of those works anyway, and therefore it was not necessary to have them in the Bible. And um, when you go, why would someone be removing uh, uh, canonical works, canonical works, the the answer to that is that those books, the books that were removed at that time... Um, were not inspired works; they were historical works and, and poetic works. So they were they were they didn't form part of our canon anyway, uh, as far as our belief goes. What they formed um, was. Uh, the the history to help us understand right. why we do some of the things that we do. Um, many things that we do in Christianity today, uh, we don't understand why we do it because we have lost touch with some of those works. So I, I will say that there are some apocryphal works out there um, that are perfectly acceptable because um, they're they're not claiming to be. Uh, to rise to the level of Holy Scripture. Um, They are historical works, they're historical writings, uh, and therefore uh, they're they're perfectly acceptable.
1: Interesting. Yeah, what what he's saying is they're perfectly acceptable to read and that they won't throw you into a ditch, but what they will do is they will help give a a background picture or a surrounding picture of what the Scripture is. Um, Because even the... um, the Jewish people don't accept what we call the apocryphal as um, um, inspired scripture, like Billy said. But they are great for understanding what was going on in the um, second and third centuries BC.
4: Okay, so yeah, go ahead.
0: I have Billy. a hard time understanding what's going on in the Gospels and the way the Romans are interacting with the Jews and that tension that exists, exists there we kind of understand it at a surface level, but if you'll go read the book of Maccabees and find out what had been happening uh, up to that point and the the rebellions that had happened and um, the, in the infighting that had been happening, uh, you'll understand that tension a lot better at that point, simply because um, the historical understanding of what had been going on was, was included in those books. So um, there, there is some value there to be had to help, um, Clarify, I suppose, um, some of yeah. the uh, things that are going on there in Scripture. Nothing, nothing there that you need to go hang uh, your belief system on, but certainly some some clarity to be had there.
4: Interesting. All right. So, are there books that you think that people maybe need to to take a look at that are not in their traditional uh, scriptures?
1: I encourage people to read yeah. the Book of Maccabees uh simply yes, Maccabees because sure. it um um the Maccab the story of the Maccabees uh actually gives us a fulfilled prophecy of the book uh, parts of the book of Daniel. Uh it actually prophesies the events of Hanukkah, uh and that's what Hanukkah came from was the story of the Maccabees, um fighting against uh um, has millions at that time. Yeah. Um, and it kind of gives you as Billy said it kind of paints this picture of what was going on uh, leading up into the first century um, the the other ones uh, as far as uh, in the apocryphal stuff um, I, it's been so long since I read them but there are certain things like they, they start talking about different angels like uh, one of the other angels we, we look at you know uh, Michael and Gabriel um And then, you know, people put Lucifer into those, you know, those three main angels that are mentioned in the Bible. Well, those other writings have additional what they would call archangels like Raphael and that. Uh, And so that's the part that you got to be careful about, because then also you create that. Well, there's actually seven archangels, uh, according to some other literature, and then they start using those names. And then I think one of them even talks about praying for the dead, which is where um, the Catholic idea comes from and all of that. So. Again, that's why you got to be careful when you do start reading. If you're not looking at history, you're going to find yourself finding doctrine that is not okay.
4: biblical. So here, here's the key: right. it, being a cultureite like I am to find things in culture uh, to help people connect with biblical. Uh, what you just said uh, about uh, Maccabees, I could have thought the teenage mutant uh, ninja turtles were. Yep. Doing, doing their thing at that time because you just brought up all their names. Yep. And yeah, I believe that's where they got the names. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Yep. Could have been they were sitting around a pizza or whatever and talking about it.
1: Well, I mean. All right. Well, <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, let me ask one final question from you, for you guys, all right? We've got <laughs> about three and a half minutes. I'm wondering if you could help me and my family better understand a question that we've been debating. The question is regarding baptism. Why do we have so many different forms of baptism, and does one form of baptism better fit the Bible? I mean, after all, does God really care how wet we get? Isn't it all a matter of the heart anyway? If you're totally submersed with a bad heart, is that better than having a right heart and being sprinkled? Wouldn't the heart be the main issue? Thanks.
1: Sounds like you answered your own question. Uh, because that's really the the crux of the matter. We have all these different views and different types of baptism simply because of actually the things we've been talking about for the last hour as different traditions and different denominations um, have come up with different ways to do it. And what is it that we have been talking on this show about for years? Go back to how they did it in the first century. And how they did it in the first century is they walked out in the water, they squatted down, and they stood straight back up and and baptized. Baptism was not something new to Christendom. Uh, There was a reason that Jesus went into the water with John the Baptist because it was an integral part of Judaism. There were many baptisms, as Paul says, at one point in the New Testament, uh, which means there were many different types of immersions, immersions for cleanliness and spiritual purification, and there was a baptism unto conversion and salvation. And that's what uh, Christianity continued on, because when you converted to Judaism prior to the time of Christ, you had to get circumcised, give an offering, and get baptized. And But always, it always comes down to the condition of the heart. If your heart's not in it, it the the writer of the question is right. Uh, you just go down um, dry and bad heart and come up wet with a bad heart. So the condition of the right. heart is what matters in all things. All right.
0: Now, now we, I, I, will say, Billy. I will say, I will add to that that... Um, because I heard, I heard the word sprinkling in there um, In the original question the, A sprinkling by definition is not a baptism uh, Because baptism by definition Is complete immersion So um, is, is it all still about the heart? It's absolutely all still about the heart But please don't think a sprinkling is a baptism By, by definition right. it is not a baptism
4: Got to let you guys go. Music says we're out of time. Steve and Billy, thank you so much for your time today. We'll talk to you next Tuesday right here on The Bible Guys. Elizabeth is back with me when we return on The Dave Ellswick Show. It's after 8 here uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show. If you're listening to the show uh, on uh, 101.1 FM, you're hearing it at 6 o'clock in the evening because it's tape-delayed and then aired at this particular time. So you get the last hour of the Dave Ellswick Show for many of you on your way home where you got the first two hours for many of you while you were driving to work. Just it's confusing but it, it it's been working people have figured it out now uh elizabeth is is with us and uh i asked her to kind of pay attention to some different stories about uh the whole deal on uh, mail in ballots now i'm against mail in ballots not against something like uh you know you go out and uh, you you get the ballot if you're not going to be be uh uh, in you know, not going to be home. You're going to be somewhere absentee else Absentee is country. one thing. You know, absentee, yeah, because you you call in, you ask for an absentee ballot, and in, in many cases, you've got to write in and ask for an absentee ballot. They, they know uh, who you are, <laughs> and they can figure it out. All right, they can figure out that you are a bona fide uh, voter, but that's not the case with the way things are going right now. Uh, In New York, they're still counting the votes from the June 23rd primary. Now, let me give you an example of why that might be happening. It could be happening for when, like when we had John Thurston on last week, we talked about uh, mail-in ballots and uh, we talked about absentee ballots. Uh, Last year, or the last time, pardon me, the last time they had a presidential election, about 4% of the votes were absentee ballots. And that was 42,000 ballots, 42,000 ballots that had to be individually uh, counted. And it took them some time to do it. John said it took them a while, Uh, but they were able to get it done the day of the election. But he is worried about the next presidential election which is on November 3rd, if I'm correct on the exact date, uh, that first Tuesday in in November. And he says he expects with the COVID-19 outbreak, a lot of people will not want to go and uh, vote at their polling place, that as much as 14 percent, 14 percent of uh, the ballots, Could be cast as absentees. Now, folks, if 4% is 42,000, you can sit down and figure out what 42% means as far as absentee ballots, and it's a lot more counting to try to get it done in time, uh, in, in a timely manner, so that you'll know who was voted for here in the state of Arkansas, and that's one of the main problems. Tom Cotton said a general election could have five times as many ballots as the primary. At this pace, New York will be counting votes seven months after the (laughs) November election, and Tim's want this nationwide question mark. So does everybody remember how how on edge everybody was in the Bush-Gore election? Does everybody remember <laughs> that? Holy cow, well, it was crazy. And not o-
3: yeah, not only that, but Dave, the environment is so different now than it was back then. Oh, my gosh, that little bit of <laughs> disruption that we had that created so much trouble back then would be magnified over and over and over because of everybody being so politicized right now.
4: Yeah, let's, let me look, look at uh, the National Review, and here's what they said. Election chaos. That's the latest thing to fear this week. Trump apparently wants us to fear an inaccurate and fraudulent election because so many ballots are going to get mailed in. His opponents apparently want you to fear that the fear he's ginning up will somehow empower him to reject the election results. And it seems that the media wants you to fear an untraditional election night and that the counting of mail imbalance uh, is going to cause delays with opportunistic charges and counter charges of stolen and fraudulent results. Maybe a full-on Al Gore style in conceding could occur. Uh, Ben Smith, Mm. pardon me on my voice right now. Uh, Ben Smith reports that John Podesta, the former Hillary Clinton campaign manager and blood-drinking cultist, I believe the Internet, participated in a recent election war game in which he, playing Joe Biden, stole some electoral college votes and dependent on the threat of West Coast secession, To gain gain the presidential office, he had no legal right to occupy. Hey, maybe the Dems will steal this thing after all. We should fear the process, fear the institutional breakdown, and fear the lack of trust. That's just a start, and that is just a, a prediction of perhaps what might happen. There's other things that could happen that I believe are worse than what they're predicting right there.
3: It is. I participated in the counting of absentee ballots as a volunteer in 2018 in my county. There were six of us. We started at 8 o'clock in the morning. We finished at 6 p.m. You cannot count according to the law. Well, I take that back. We did not count votes. We verified votes. The counting happens later. First pass, you have to verify that everybody who sent in a ballot has, is the right person that process took us 10 hours in 2018 there were six people we worked for uh 10 hours so you can see the numbers are not manageable that is uh, on a straight up process we're going to have nothing but massive trouble massive fraud it has already been proven Uh, You know, they've, they've arrested election officials and elected officials in New Jersey and other places voting fraud. This is nothing but a nightmare. And you talk about taking the concept of we need to have an ID to vote and pushing it to its ridiculous extreme. This is so far out ridiculous that it's not feasible. It is not something we should even be considering. We have to oppose it.
4: Yeah, it's This is really wild, some of the things that uh, this writer from National Re- Review gets into, Michael Brendan Doherty, uh, who writes all of this, because here's something he brings up that I think is important. Here's what to expect on election night, he says. A nation that has grown tired, anxious, and worn out from its own political divisions over the past 20 years. One that is haunted by a fear that its institutions are fundamentally broken and unable to handle geopolitical challenges ahead is going to elect a very old man who inspires little relief than a sigh of relief that the other very old man didn't win. Now, by the way, he wrote that that could be uh, President Trump or it could be Joe Biden because they're both old men. Such partisans. Oh, white (laughs) men. Yeah, sure. Partisans are going to try to impose on this event some massive, massive epoch shaping meaning to it all. If Trump squeaks out another win, his fans are going to hail him as breaking the back of the corrupt media, beating all expectations, and signaling the illegitimacy of the woke aristocracy that oversees and moderates our national conversation. Uh, So, I mean, there's just some really interesting points brought up uh, in this article. And it is something to be a little bit fearful for as far as I'm concerned.
3: Well, again, um, knowing some election officials, and I know you do as well, uh, these folks have always worked hard and done a good job. Every single one of them that I know is worried, badly worried right now, about being able to conduct an appropriate election in November with social distancing and all the extra things that they're going to have to do. And now we have this idea of having massive numbers of mail-in votings. Now, let's make it clear. Absentee voting, when a registered voter contacts their local official and asks for a ballot to be mailed to them, and it is mailed back, that's one process. Mail-in voting is not that. Let's make this clear. Those two different things. We've done absentee balloting very successfully for a long time. It is a process that's awkward. Mail-in voting means you send a ballot to every voter on the list, and by the way, probably everybody else that the Democrats can find a mail to, including the local cemetery and who knows what else, and those ballots are just stuck in the mail. They could be delivered. They might not be delivered. I remember we had a a tax problem here in our county. They had to send letters to all the taxpayers to correct the problem. About 30% of those letters came back wrong because the addressing was out of date. So we're talking about sending ballots to huge numbers of registered voters with the address that's on their registration. And we already know from other experiences that 30% of those addresses could be incorrect. That guarantees you right off the bat, 30% of those ballots are going to be <laughs> open for fraud, let's call it. <laughs> you know, you get a ballot delivered to you in the mail. It's not yours, doesn't have your name on it, but all you got to do is fill it out, stick it back in the mail. That's mail in voting, people. It's not okay.
4: You well, know, here's the other thing, though, uh, uh, Elizabeth. It might not be just mail in voting. Democrats would like some person to be able to go out and collect the ballots. And then bring them somewhere.
3: Well, that's, yeah, that's a whole, that's another step, ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting. It's already happening in California, and all I can say is look at what's happened in California the last few elections. You know, it's going more and more blue. I wonder why. Who's doing the ballot harvesting? It's the Democrats. If they're going to allow that by law, I hate to say this, But, you know, if the law is going to allow that, the Republicans need to get on the the train and do it right and go out and do their own ballot harvesting. In fact, there was a candidate in the primaries, don't remember his name, in California who did that very thing, and that Republican candidate did win in his primary in in March, uh, March or April, whenever it was in California. But that's, you know, ballot harvesting, mail-in voting – I I agree with the statement you were saying earlier. It will be very obvious to many, many voters that our whole entire system does not work if that is allowed to start happening.
4: And if that happens and the country, and we'll take this up when we come back, let me just drill this out and then Elizabeth and I will talk about it. If the country is as divided as they say that by a razor's edge, we're almost 50-50 Uh, What does that mean for the next president? Well, I would think it means that whoever gets elected has no mandate at all. We'll talk about why that's important when we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's get into another segment of the Dave Ellswick Show. And we're talking about voting on the upcoming election. A lot of talk about mail-in voting. And uh, is this the right time to do it? Ari Fleischer says, probably not. And let me read to you what he had to say. If the four years since Election Day 2016 haven't been tumultuous enough, wait until this year's Election Day night. If the election is close, that one night will be fraught with more risk and danger than anything people have imagined over the almost four years of the Trump presidency to date. As a survivor of the 2000 recount, that takes us back to Bush Gore, I do not want anyone to go through what happened to uh, George Bush or Al Gore. Today, however, animosity to President Trump is so high that a close election will test our nation's divisions in dangerous ways that go way beyond what was experienced in 2000, a comparatively calm and respectful year in politics the threat coming up on november 3rd is not from a delayed election the threat is not because the election will be rigged or marked by fraud the threat is from a close election whose outcome is in doubt says our nation (laughs) survived you know bush gore but a surge in mail-in voting will make 2020 different he says picture this Listen to this, Elizabeth. It's it's a terrifying picture, in all honesty. Turnout in 2020 will likely break all records. Inspired by love and hate for President Trump, turnout increases from 140 million votes in 2016, which, by the way, was a record, to more than 150 million votes. In Florida, Trump is up by 5,000 votes over Joe Biden. In Ohio, Biden is up 5,000 votes over Trump, Pennsylvania. North Carolina, Wisconsin, Iowa, Georgia, too close to call. Both candidates declare victory. Both candidates mm-hmm. accuse the other of cheating, and both candidates yep. go to court. Think yep. about that. Just yep. think about that for a moment. It's I remember dangerous. the hanging
3: Chad's incidents as well. This would be, I mean, again, it's not, we are sitting on a tinderbox already that's already smoldering and maybe has fire breaking out here and there, and this would just be like setting a match. It would just go up like, you know, crazy. It's very scary. I mean, it's very scary. We cannot, we have to protect the vote. We have to protect these processes. These are the principles, the basic systems of our country. We must, well, we've already proven that we don't do, whether they call it peaceful transition of power, we've already proven that in 2016, and it wasn't trump who wouldn't accept the results of that election.
4: <laughs> nope, it was somebody who said that who said trump wouldn't accept it and then they didn't accept it when it happened and that's Hillary Clinton.
3: And they won't accept any results going forward is my feeling no matter you know how close it gets, what happens, they will refuse to accept the results. If trump is able to win in November, I don't know that it it scares me. If Trump does not win in November, it terrifies me. If Trump does win in November, it terrifies me. What are they going to do when they when they don't get what they want?
4: And what are they going to do if they win? What will they do if they don't? That's right. Uh, both of them lead to the same issue. Uh, Fleischer same says, issues. thanks to the pandemic and because many states which had no experience with mostly mail balloting allowed it for the first time, the absentee ballot count becomes the central issue in determining who will win the election. That's never happened before. Think about that. I mean, that that, that opens itself up with all kinds well, of fighting.
3: I feel like that's going to be the same no matter what. And because of COVID-19, there's going to be huge increases in people doing real appropriate and and, you know, has been in place for a long time, absentee ballot voting. And that in in itself, like I say, the election officials that I know of who are working on things are worried about being able to handle the numbers in the time frame that the law allows. You can can do a little pre-processing of that information. You're not supposed to be doing any work on balloting until the day of the election. And so it puts a huge strain. Oh, and let's add in the fact that my friends who do this work are telling me that the poll workers and the individuals who volunteer to do this work, and, of course, I did volunteer and do it back in 2016 or 18, um, they're not volunteering right now. They're not out there because many of them are older, and they are not wanting to get out around in the public right now. They don't want to be out there in front of people. So they're not volunteering. So they're already shorthanded. So we have increasing numbers of ballots that must be counted. We have fewer volunteers who are helping. It's already a daunting and and serious situation for November without adding in
4: this. (laughs) Okay, so let's finish our discussion. we got about two minutes here. U.S. Election Assistance Commission said there were 33 million absentee ballots uh, cast, Uh, last presidential election, of which less than 1% were rejected, that still amounted to Mm 318,728 votes thrown out nationally. Now, let me give you some figures. In Florida, 21,917 were rejected. Pennsylvania, 17,574. In Georgia, 13,677. And Ohio, Ten thousand one eighty nine. I'm just telling you, in many of those cases, the amount of votes that were thrown out would have been the number of votes that would have helped a particular election one way or the other to kick the election, either to Trump or at that point uh, uh, to uh, uh, Hillary Clinton at that time. So uh, this is a big, big question. Well,
3: and they correctly point out at that point, everyone who is in that state is going to say, my vote counts, my vote counts.
4: Every vote counts. You're going to hear that mantra hugely. The loser in that state will cry, hoping that the rejected absentee ballots will be uh, put on as legitimate votes and flip them over, flip them over for the win, the flip side. Is the rules. Either mm. rules matter and ballots get rejected or the rules get made up on the fly, depending on which party is in power and whether disobeying the rules helps Trump or Biden. I'm, I'm just telling you, November could be a real, real hodgepodge of a mess.
3: It sure should. And you know, I always wonder about talking about these things. We always wanna probably say what people could do to help the
4: situation. Hold on. Hold on. Let's pick this up when we come back. Got a break. Got more coming your way on the Dave Ellswick Show. Another segment of the Dave Ellswick Show here on a Tuesday. Elizabeth Soltelaro is on the air with me as well. Plus Jason joins us. He's calling in from Florida. He's watching on Facebook, Jason. You wanted to talk about absentee ballots, and we're better to talk about absentee ballots than in Florida. Go ahead.
2: That's right. I'm watching on the Facebook Live. You got the stream going, but it you don't seem to be on the on the feed.
4: <laughs> All right. Well, you go ahead. What's your question?
2: Oh sorry I I apologize I was I was just I'm used to watching on the Facebook live and I don't see you there but I see the the Signed now and everything. Well, I was talking about the absentee votes. It's cool that yeah. you still do the stream, though. You still do the video stream, even though you're not there. That's cool. yeah. We I like want that. you to
4: be able to listen to the show, but yeah, I'm sitting at home right now. I'm in my dining room doing the show. Doctor, oh, orders. that's
2: that's lovely. Doctors I would say orders. in theory you could just you could just put up an image and then we could just still <laughs> listen to the show. But I love that you still got the video going and everything, and you got all your cardboard cutouts, John Wayne and the President Trump. I was just curious. Do you think Trump is totally finished here? Uh, someone who's a big supporter, you think you got any chance of winning this election? Oh
4: yeah, don't do not oh, believe. Absolutely. I'm going to re- let me repeat this. Do not believe what the pollsters are telling you. You know, when okay. we were getting in this close in the election in '16, they were saying that Trump didn't have a chance then course no he, with was, he was
2: i will say he was less he wasn't as far behind in the national polls in 2016 as he is now he's, he's about six or seven points behind where he was in 2016 and, and i will say it's not so much the polls that i'm paying attention to it's more his behavior so it's more his sort of you know trying to talk about delaying the election stuff like that for me just <laughs> judging off of the way he talks that, that is that is somebody who is, uh, you know, thinking they are going to lose. Otherwise, why would they be interested in delaying an election that's never happened in the history of America?
4: Because he Jason. sees, he sees the, chain, the train wreck that's coming like we're trying to talk about here. Yeah, Elizabeth, go ahead, jump in.
3: Well, I saw a piece of information that basically commented on that very thing, and Of course, Trump says what he says a lot of times on Twitter. It's like the laser pointer with your cats. You know, the cats, meaning the media, just chase over there, and then he's able to do something over here. He apparently has told someone, I saw this on social media, who knows? Makes sense to me. He says that was my way of getting the media to start talking about the issue of mail in voting. We've got to have the conversation. We've got to make it obvious
2: you'll believe anything that he says, right? You've just, you've totally just bought into it now. It seems to me you're literally citing, I don't know, something I maybe saw on social media that that that's your whole, I mean, this is really getting to a sad level. I I hope is your family still speak with you. Is it, is it a situation where they've given up or you still going to have somewhere to go after 2020?
3: Jason, the point today is social media and citizen journalism, if you want to even call it that. If you listen to us, we talk about journalism quite a lot. The people who are seeing what's happening on the street and talking about it on media are the ones that are telling what's really going on. Now, it's hard to know. You're right. You're exactly right. It's hard to know. But I guarantee you that what you You see on the regular media is probably just as untrustworthy. are
2: are you happy with his handling of the coronavirus pandemic? Do You think, in comparison to you know other countries, that that he's done a good job as a leader handling this? I Do think
3: you he's think done he could fine. Have been better.
2: Yeah, you guys are pathetic. You guys are pathetic, and I hope that at some point you'll wake up before you die. But I doubt uh, it. I know. hope Talk that I hope that you state. quit
4: drinking the Kool Aid from the oh, uh, the left leaning press is very mirror, obvious. Steve. That's a mirror. It's very you obvious. You've done that. You no, I'm looking. I'm uh, not projecting. Sir. You project. You have drank the You're projecting you on have me Kool- your thoughts. Let him go. All right, that's that's good enough. He gets on, that was an interesting caller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he didn't really want to talk about absentee ballots no. at all. He didn't have a word about so. absentee ballots. Bottom line, he's a Trump hater. Very obvious. So it sort take of that. Sounded like it. Uh, let my let my listeners take that as they will. I uh, I take it for what it is. Nothing, nothing at all. All right. Uh, A disputed presidency on the the line, what happens next is predictable. Here's what Ari Fleischer said again. Every vote counts. That's what you're going to hear. Every vote counts. That's what the loser in any state will cry. Now, this is going to affect local races as well as national races the loser the loser in that state is going to cry every vote cry, uh, counts hoping the rejected absentee ballots is going to put them over the top then the flip side Not is only the rules They're
3: going to start showing up with all those boxes of missing votes, okay? And that's going to be even more than it's ever happened in the past because all they have to do is go find the ones that were printed out and bring them back in the door. I mean, it's just, it's going to flood the system with a huge number of ballots that there's no way to verify where they went, who got them, who filled them out, or where they're going back in. It's just a nightmare.
4: Yeah. And then they talk about rules. And he's right about this. Uh, you know, ballots are rejected on rules. They're not rejected just willy nilly. There are rules, typically things that uh, might be a problem. They've arrived too late. If it arrives late, I can people say, well, that's not the voters um, uh, problem. So, um, you know, he he may have. Send it out in the mail on time. So we've got to count that vote oh, yeah. because uh, signatures don't match. <laughs> hmm. How do you know the signatures don't match? And there's Or there is no signature on the ballot. But somebody filled out the ballot, so the vote should count. I'm just telling you, we've oh, already wow. heard all of these excuses over the last few years. Uh, so what, what happens is that rules don't count you may come up on the fly, and depending on uh, which party is in power and whether disobeying the rules helps either Trump or Biden. Uh, So this exact dispute is taking place now in a contested Democratic congressional primary in New York where the incumbent Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, uh, in her race against her progressive opponent, Ended up too close to call on election night, June twenty third. The winner still hasn't been declared. New York, for the first time in twenty twenty, sent absentee ballot applications to every voter, which whether they asked for it or didn't ask for it, leading to a flood of mail balloting, overloading the system. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. let me give you a, let me give you a statewide note on oh, uh, numbers. We're looking at twenty sixteen primary. New York had 157,885 requests for absentee absentee ballots. Uh, This year, the state has had 1.7 million requests. I don't care how much money a state has. No state that hasn't done it before can handle a surge in mail voting this late in the game. So we'll just do it like that. And, Jason, this is what I wanted to talk about, not whether the president ha- handled the pandemic uh, correctly. I believe he did. The Democrats were wanting to do exactly what the president did until they figured if they took the other side, it helped them politically. That's the truth. And you know it. You're the one who projects. But going back, here's the problem that we're really <laughs> going to be facing. That is a massive Twenty five percent of absentee ballots. Think about that. They Uh, had problems with a little over one percent.
3: And it's going to be a step by step nightmare. It sounds to me like both in overwhelming the system, flooding the system with too many ballots, time factors, uh, disputes over whether they're valid or not, disputes over who won the election. This is nothing but a recipe for total disaster. And, by the way, your comment about Jason is probably pretty accurate. I think his call actually demonstrated uh, the fact that he didn't call in and have a direct conversation. He thought he was going to, and he did get on the air under false pretenses. So he wasn't being very... fair let's say it in his conversation well, he wasn't being truthful all day long but the very fact that he felt like he had to lie to get on your radio show tells me everything we need to
4: know Yeah, nobody has to lie to get on this show heidi i'm gonna no. go ahead and get my break in let's do that then we'll come back and finish this uh, show up for a tuesday here on 101.1 fm uh, the answer Back on the Dave Ellswick Show, i got to say one good thing came out of our call from Florida, if it was in, <laughs> indeed from Florida, it, it, may, from Florida. <laughs> it may not have been from Florida, is that if you're listening on Facebook right now, you're hearing us uh, prepare the 6 o'clock hour uh, of this show now. it's It would be recorded and then played back. If you want to get in, t- in touch with me, 823 823- 0965. We'll do that for you. 501 is the area code. 5018230965. And I let. By the way, Jason, I let anybody on, uh, whether they agree or disagree with me uh, here on the show. You don't have to lie, like you did, to get on the show. We only ask questions about topics so that we hope that you will stay on the topic because that's what we do on this show. I try to make sure we stay on topic. It could be that you don't think there's anything wrong with mail-in ballots. I'll take your call. We'll talk about that and about some of the problems that there is with mail-in ballots. Uh, The other thing that I've been talking about now for several weeks, and that is the left eats the left, and that's been going on now for quite some time. We have the cancel culture attacking Disney now because they've got Hamilton on it. You got the cancel culture uh, going after ha- uh, Halle Berry because she's going to play a trans uh, transsexual uh, man and she's not so a Ellen- transsexual. You got Ellen DeGeneres who on on television acts real nice, but behind the scenes maybe she's not as nice. And so the left attacks her about that. Here's the key. The only person that won't attack another person on on the left is the lefty that believes as long as nobody's going to attack them, they're right. And and that's the way they they stand. I bring all this up because Mayor Jacob Fry, uh, the guy that looks like... uh, Uh, What was it? Michael uh, Michael J. Fox when he was in uh, Back to the Future. Looks like a kid. Uh, The Minneapolis Democrat faced sharp criticism over his handling of the George Floyd riots in June. Yesterday, he placed much of the blame on the governor, another Democrat, for failing to act quickly on early requests from the city for state intervention. So here you go. You got a Democrat saying, hey, I tried to do it this way, the right way, but the Democrat that's sitting in the governor's office jumped over me. So you got the left attacking the left here. It's very interesting. What do you think?
3: Well, I mean, that's exactly what they do. (laughs) Again, they are just lashing out at anything and anybody. This is part of what bothers me about their violence and their anger and their lashing out is it seems as though it's all about the lashing out it's not about the issues it's not about the topic it's not about what needs to be addressed what we can do to fix it it's you didn't do what i wanted you to do therefore i get to be mad i get to be angry i get to cancel you i get to set fires i get to burn flags what good I mean that's like a 2 year old, you know? My grandchildren went through that at the age of 2. The no no no, everyone with a child understands that phase. Why are we allowing the Democrats to do this? Why are we allowing half of our country to act like 2 year olds? Well, what are we going to do?
4: That's what Jason did, isn't it? I mean, when he came on my show. <laughs> didn't matter, you know, didn't just, matter. He he didn't his whole thing was I'm right, you're wrong. Period.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, that's that, that's you may have heard me kind of giggling a little. I was sort of getting tickled when he decided to start really talking about what he called about, because it's very clear. And he's at such classic. It's such a classic call. Such classic yeah. situation.
4: OK, uh, go ahead.
3: Again, you know, they're just lashing out because they don't like what they don't like. This is, <laughs> In my mind, this is the result of the me-me-me generation and raising our children so that everybody gets a participation trophy. No one was taught as a young child, or, well, no one. The younger generation was not taught, you know, you have a place, but you don't get to rule the world. It's not all about you. They are, every one of them, acting like it's all about them, and only what they want, and no accommodation, no grace, no consideration for anybody else, that is not how we get through this world, and it's not how our country was founded. Uh, what is it, E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one? Yep, that's You'll right. never be able to, you know, have one country if many can't figure out how to get along with each other. And, I mean, well, that's the basic. of it. That's
4: true. As well, I mean, we've talked about it uh, until our, our faces have turned blue, and, and that is— our country is so polarized right now. And let me go back to say again, Marshall yes. McLuhan said this was going to happen back in the 60s. Uh, and Jason, if you're still listening, probably not. But if you're still <laughs> sure <he's> if, not. <laughs> you, if you're still listening, you might want to read Marshall McLuhan so that you'll understand why we've become so tribal uh, in our country. Uh, there, there is. I, I don't believe that there's plenty of people in any one ta- in any one camp. Uh, the left is attacking attacking the left. Some rights are attacking the right. The right attacks the left. The left attacks the right. There's no, there's no way of looking for an area that you can discuss things and come to a decision, uh, basically. Sometimes Congress is able to do that, but not recently.
3: <laughs> well, you're certainly not able to do it right now about the stimulus package. We're having troubles in that regard, aren't we? <laughs> oh, which, Lord.
4: which means the, the president is going to have to do what the president wants to do. That's what it means.
3: Well, that's part of the job of being a president. And again, Trump is your president. He was elected by the people through the electoral college through the process that we use in our country back to the basics if you don't like the process go change it but that's what happened and he is the president he does have the job he has the authority he will do what he needs to do
4: yeah now think about what you just said elizabeth because part two of our argument about uh mail-in ballots would be people don't hold to the rules the left didn't hold to the rules in 2016 when we yes. started mentioning he won in the uh, Electoral College, which is the way that you win an election for president in in this uh, country, they said, but that's not fair. Let's do the yeah. rules so that the guy who gets the most votes wins. That's their it's argument.
3: The me, me, me. I didn't get what I want, so I want it my way, you know, and that's not fair. I always want to mention, and I don't know if this we we got this out earlier or not. I want to mention when we're talking about all these things, there's always something somebody can do. You can always do something to try to help the situation. In this case, one of the things that you can do, if you're concerned about these situations with our November elections, you need to go to your local election officials and volunteer. Tell them you would like to help work in the polls. You'd like yeah, to help be a poll ballots. worker. Verify ballots, be a poll worker. They desperately need the help, and the more eyes that we have on that process, the more involved the people are. And of course, you know that's one of my soapbox issues. Be involved. Be involved. Half the battle is showing up, being present. And I hate to say it this way, being present in the room. Right now, you got to put on a mask to do that, maybe, or at least go volunteer. There are things you can do to help the situation. Don't sit at home and wring your hands. Get busy. We have to get busy. The founders didn't sit around when, you know, Britain was coming and taking things over and quartering, uh, you know, uh, soldiers in our homes and everything. We didn't sit around with our hands folded and say, oh, woe is us. What do we do? We got out and got busy. We got to get busy.
4: Yep. And I agree with that 100 percent, because if the news story gets out that people are turning out to make sure that the election is on the up and up, a lot of people that might try to cheat won't.
3: That will help. It will certainly make a difference. And by the way, the more you get involved, the more you learn and the more interesting it becomes. And you do have, again, my two mantras, get involved and get involved on a local level because that's where you have the most influence as a citizen. You know those people. They live in your neighborhood. You see them at the store. You, know, you work with them. You can influence them by being involved. Um, breaking news, by the way, on the yes. November elections in Arkansas, Kanye West was able to turn in um, enough signatures before the, de- the deadline. Oh, he's yesterday. going to be on the
4: ballot then.
3: Well, they've got to verify the signatures. You know, it's always that. But he turned in his required 1,000 signatures, and so we may see Kanye, Kanye West on the ballot in November in Arkansas.
4: That's he interesting. He has a
3: fri- vice presidential candidate, a biblical life coach, the name is Michelle Tidball, and supposedly uh, that's his running mate, and was the that that was the same ticket that they filed in Missouri last week. He has he has uh, managed to make it. Well, he's trying. They still have to verify signatures, you know. But uh, Kanye, let's see, West Tidball, West Tidball is that uh, is that team.
4: All right. Let me jump in here and finish one thing up. And I do it for Jason's sake, because Jason needs to hear some truth. Uh, Sanjay Grupa, the doctor that you see on CNN, claimed Monday night that the president had deliberately minimized the COVID-19 pandemic by not testing. However, John Hopkins University of Medicine says the U.S., quote, has conducted more COVID-19 tests than any other country. So your question, Jason, do you think the United States is taking on COVID as good as all the other uh, countries? Uh, Yeah, I think that we have done better. And I can rest on facts like this. All right, Elizabeth, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you. Jason, we love your brother. We love your brother. Just put away the Kool-Aid. And I'll see everybody tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. here on the Dave Ellsworth Show.